God, I just thank you so much for Laura, this amazing woman who's after your heart, who wants to take all this brokenness that you've poured into her life. And through that, you've taken these ashes and just created this beautiful woman who has this desire to pour into us. So God, I pray as she steps here today that you would give her boldness to speak everything that you have for us to hear and that you would give us the courage to listen and to act on everything that you speak to us. I'm so grateful for all of you. Um, I feel like, uh, you know, sometimes uh, being up here, you can't get a, you can't get a sense of, of who you're speaking to, but you have made being up here so easy for me, and I just thank you for that. You've been like, I feel like you've been like sponges, and uh, you've really ministered to me. And for those of you who I've gotten to speak to and listen to, um, I just feel like, you know, each one of us, each one of us have a story. Each one of us could be up here. Each of you could be up here just sharing what God has done in your life. And I encourage you to write down your testimony. Um, write down your story of what God has done for you because you know what? That is what draws other people. That's what draws people to Jesus. They want to know he's real. They want to know he's real in the trenches. Let's pray. Only you, Lord, have words of life. Holy Spirit, come. Speak to us. We confess our need of you, Jesus. We confess we are sinners, that apart from you we can do nothing. But in you, you can do great things through us. In Jesus' name, amen. If anyone wants to follow me, he must deny himself, pick up his cross, and follow. And tonight's message is called CrossFit. Over 250 people have died taking selfies. Social media researchers have coined the word killfies to describe this phenomenon. We've all heard of people and shake our heads at the woman who trespassed the jaguar barrier so she could get just that right, perfect picture, stood a bit too close to the bison and the bison's baby, or hand-fed the bear. But here's the thing. Over half the women who have died taking selfies were not engaged in high-risk activity. They died because while focused on that little rectangular piece reflecting themselves, they didn't consider the unexpected. The gust of wind, the slam of the ocean wave, and the crack of lightning that turned their selfie stick into a lightning rod. Jolts, shocks, tsunamis, and the shift of what we think is terra firma are not only possible, but they're probable. And they're byproducts of life here on planet Earth. And trying to anticipate the unknowns will make us crazy. It will rob us of our peace. It will bring so much upheaval. So where can we find peace? In Matthew 7, 24 through 26, Jesus says, anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise, like a person who builds a house on the solid rock. 
though the rain comes in torrents and the floodwaters rise and the winds beat against that house, it won't collapse because it is built on bedrock. But anyone who hears my teaching and doesn't obey it is like a foolish person who builds their house on the sand. We're not told what those two houses look like, but in my imagination, I picture them on uh, overlooking Malibu Beach. They may well appear identical from the outside, just like our lives do. Notice both are hit. Both experience torrents, floods, and winds beating. One house remains, and as Jesus said, the other collapses with a crash right off the cliff. The storm is the thing that reveals the difference between the houses. One was built on bedrock, and one is a sand castle. I've shared the storm that hit my shore many years ago. I've had storms since. But that first one was the one that caused me to consider what my life's foundation was. I felt that the, suddenly the rug was ripped out from under me. Everything that I had placed confidence in, apart from Christ, was gone. The waves of that storm, I thank God, held me under the water long enough to scour away the sand in my life. And that's what... Storms have done ever since. They scour away the sand. And from those storms, I emerge baptized into new life, fastened solidly to the one rock that remains. And I hold fast to it, not by my own strength. My arms are weak. They tremble, but by the everlasting arms from the Lord my rock. I can say that since that first episode, that has been my touchstone. And every cliffhanger since has served to remind me that not only can I, but I must trust the Lord. Not based on my feelings of trust, but on faith. In his ability to save me from death from selfie and the photo bombs of life. Like those two houses, both of which experience storm, suffering is universal. But there is a vast difference between suffering apart from Christ and suffering with Christ, allowing him to hold the heavy end of the cross. Though suffering is a catalyst for the cross, suffering is not in itself the cross. While suffering may not be optional, picking up the cross is. I love what Elizabeth Elliot says about suffering. All suffering falls under one of these two things. Think about this. Wanting something we don't have or having something we don't want. All suffering. Wanting something we don't have having something we don't want. As I said, suffering is universal. 
But suffering is not, or excuse me, um, suffering is a hard circumstance, but the cross is a hard obedience. We tend to think of the cross as something epic, monumental, heroic. We've often heard or said ourselves, I certainly have said it, in martyred tones, well, this is just my cross to bear as we face some hardship. But as I said, hard stuff happens to everyone. Most of us will not be asked to die for our faith. And I have romanticized the cross by saying, oh, Lord, I would die for you. And I've heard that still small voice say, hmm, really, thank you. But how about if you practice dying for me by living for me? Elizabeth Elliot also says the cross is this, a continual daily practice of small duties which are distasteful to us. Baby steps of obedience every day. And the cross is always dying to self. So if denying ourselves is saying no so that we can follow Christ, the cross that we pick up is the saying, yes, that we could follow Christ. It's saying, I don't want to, but for you, Lord, I'll do it. Your cross may be an inconvenient task done without complaining. It may be an apology you do not want to give or an apology you don't want to forgive. It may be to take a stand and alienate those you love. It may be to stand down on some pet opinion. It may be submitting to a faulty and unpredictable authority. And if, that, if you are under that kind of situation, I encourage you to look at how David viewed Saul. If you look at Saul, one day, oh my gosh, my son, my son, I love you, my son, Saul would say to David. The next, he was throwing spears at him. If David had taken his cues from Saul, he would have ended up just as crazy as Saul. He took his cues from the Lord. If you are under some authority that's irrational, irregular, study how David dealt with Saul and Joseph with Pharaoh. Your cross may be a hidden matter of the heart, wanting a child, not wanting this child, staying married when you want out, or staying unmarried when you want in, laying down your reputation, a willingness to be real and risk being judged. It may be a trip through Samaria. There are people in my life that I see as my Samaria. The disciples did not want to go through Samaria. They wanted to avoid Samaria. Jesus said he needed to go through Samaria. Why did he need to go through Samaria? Yeah, he had a meeting. He had a meeting with a woman at the well. 
there are people in my life I want to walk away around. And some of them might be even relatives of mine. God is saying, walk through this. You need to walk through this. I remember a situation. I want to be careful how I say this, but I was just like, Lord, this can't be your will for my child. This cannot be your will. He was going to, he was going to be a translator for Wycliffe. That's what I thought. Loving, he, did, he just would pick up languages like crazy. He had a full scholarship at the age of 14 to college. God, this can't be your will for him, the situation that came in. And the Lord said, what if this is my plan to bring healing to those he's interacting with? Is that enough glory for you, Laura? That may be our cross. Ultimately, picking up the cross is saying, yes, Lord, whatever you want me to do and whatever you have for me. But we are also given permission because Christ said it. He said three times, God, if there's any other way, take this cup from me. If there is any other way, take this cup from me. Take this cup from me. But not my will, but yours be done. While I was praying about these messages, I thought, Lord, who comes to retreats to hear about suffering and denying themselves? Can't I talk about joy? I felt like he said, yeah, let's do that. Here's some verses. 1 Thessalonians 1.6. Despite their severe suffering, you receive the message with joy by the Holy Spirit. Hebrews 12.2. Because of the joy awaiting him, Jesus endured the cross. Philippians 2.17. Even if I lose my life for you, I am joyful. How about tested by many troubles and very poor, they are filled with abundant joy, 2 Corinthians 8, 2. Second, I'll get these to you later. 2 Corinthians 6, 10. Our hearts ache, but always we have joy. Isaiah 61, 1. He gives us beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning. And John 16, 20 and Hebrews 10, 34 and 1 Peter 1, 6 and 1 Peter 4, 13, I got the message. Joy is very much connected to suffering in Christ. But how? How is it? If you are in a difficult spot, I want you to think about that. You know how James says, consider it pure joy? Okay, I've got a, I've got a little trick that I've learned. You know when you're going through a hard thing and you don't want to go to church because people say with their little puppy dog eyes, how are you doing, really? And you don't want to go through it again, right? You don't, want to, you don't want to deal with it. I've learned this. When they ask me, I say, my life is pure joy, according to James. But how is it that we can have joy in suffering? I noted recently how I could view it as joy. And really, ultimately, it's because when we are suffering, we come to the utter end of ourselves, our ability to fix things, our ability to control things, and we cling 
to Christ alone. We find joy because in his presence is fullness of joy. After the FBI met with us and told us about the contract and implored us to allow them to uh, change our identity and had us sign a waiver that they were no longer responsible for us, I cannot describe the joy that filled our hearts and our VW van. It was palpable, and it had nothing to do with us. We were weak. We were afraid. We were unsure of our future, but we weren't unsure of the hands that held our future. But it was like, um, you know, the, the it was like the joy that you feel at the news of the birth of a long-awaited baby. And in a sense, I think it was that Christ was born out of the death to ourselves. Staying put was our cross. The hitman was the catalyst. And it was a daily choice. The cross is picked up daily. It says that in some of the um, in some versions in uh, the different gospels, some of them leave out the word daily, but um, actually it's pick up your cross daily, which is so much more doable, isn't it, than picking up a whole lifetime of crosses all at once? I mean, if if the Lord said, I, I'm just saying, if I say, Lord, I give you my whole life, and I think of it in terms of every every day for the rest of my life, that's hard for me. Can I give him my life today? That's doable. We're like four-year-olds told to clean their room, and they go stand at the door, overwhelmed at the sight of the chaos and the utter mess, and they just want to collapse in a heap until they hear a voice that says, well, how about if you just pick up your shoes? You think you could just pick up your shoes? Yeah. We can all just pick up our shoes. And then after we pick up our shoes, it's, well, what if you just picked up that pillow that's on the floor? It's step by step. And the cross is custom fit for you. It will not look like anyone else's cross. And it's so that you might be fit for the things God has planned for you. With every yes to picking up the cross, I become cross-fit. Every yes, Lord, is an opportunity to strengthen the abs. A, B, S. A is for abide, B is for behave, and S is for surrender. Abide means to dwell, to live in, to remain, to stay put. Psalm 37.3 says, Dwell in the land and cultivate faithfulness. I, I translate that stay put and grow trust. Trust is not something so much given to us. It's just like patience. It's something worked into us. But we have to stay in that place where it can be cultivated. We can pray, I believe, help me in my unbelief. Even our trust, even our faith, we are willing to have it. But it, even that comes from God. It says Christ is the author and finisher of our faith. What does an author do? Writes the book. 
He is writing the book for our faith. We can ask him for faith. It is a gift from him. Even our trust, it's not something we muster. It's something we ask for. When we run, instead of dwelling in that hard place, we are feeding our fears. And I have noticed that fear is like that spray foam insulation. Have you ever seen that stuff? It, it expands to fill every space given it. And that's what fear does. The more we give in to fear, the bigger it grows. It will never shrink on its own. I think our society and even Christians give very little opportunity to cultivate trust. We medicate, abdicate, chlorinate the message of our life and then wonder why our experiences seem to invalidate God's promises. Stay, pray, obey, and see what God will do. Behave just simply means to conduct oneself in a specified way. And that way is spelled out for us in God's word. We tend to expect the cross to be handed to us clean, to come from the hands of Christ himself. Well, it does, but usually it's passed first through the grubby hands of some despicable sinner. And we can ignore our cross that's come to us because of this. We can be tempted to dismiss the cross when it's presented in an offensive way by an offensive person. We obsess about how it was delivered. We obsess about who it was that handed it to us and why. Maybe it was delivered in harsh tones. Maybe by someone who we don't really value or don't, they don't really know me. And besides, they're just jealous or they're touchy or this is just the way I am and they're just going to have to accept it. Really? Is that where you want to stay? Maybe they're just out to get me or they have bad motives or just want to hurt me. Walter Sizik was a survivor of a concentration camp in World War II and this is what he said. If you are in a situation or difficulty, instead of putting the blame on something outside, or on someone else, look within yourself to see how you have contributed to the problem in even a microscopic way. And then find out a way to restore peace to the situation. I have a friend named Cheryl Hansen. I love this girl. She's from a very rough background. She's had a hard life. She has uh, children, three children, and she gave me permission to share this. Her, she, she has twin daughters that went to junior high, and after school, those twin daughters overheard a lot of the moms talking about Cheryl. And these twins came back and said, Mom, all the parents hate you. Oh. And my friend Cheryl posted on Facebook, she said, I was so sad that my daughters had to be privy to this. I was very interested in the responses on Facebook to what she said. Nobody had any details. Some of these were Christian leaders, but they were all Christians. These were their responses. That is bullying. Go to the principal. Don't change a thing about you. You are beautiful inside and out. Those women deserve to be taught a lesson. 
wow. I wrote her singularly, separately, not on Facebook. I don't believe that's a platform for sharing our, the dirty parts of our life, right? But I've learned this from my husband, that when something like that comes to you, view it as wheat. Grow it up in prayer and wait for the chaff to blow away and say, Lord, is there any kernel of truth? This is what she responded to those. And so I told her, um, I'm praying for you to be able to blow away the chaff. If there's any kernel of wheat that the Lord wants you to hear, I'm praying for you. Her response to all those people that just went on and on about, you know, you don't change and so forth, she said, I am taking some time for some serious self-confrontation with the Lord. Wow. And she did. And she wrote me. And she said, you know, I have a mouth. I have a mouth. And it gets out of hand. And I had to look at that. S is for surrender. The cross is intended to make us more like Christ. But I won't learn anything if I'm not surrendering and yielding willingly. We all know people who have learned nothing from their suffering. A man may suffer divorce and blame everything on his ex-wife without looking in the mirror for what part he might have played in that. An addict will suffer every imaginable loss of health and family and home and friends. Walter Sizik, again, the one who survived concentration camp, said this. He said, when I could no longer believe in God, I had no shred of faith. I began to pray. I had no desire or ability to survive. But God revealed to me that despite this suffering at the hands of wicked men, by the time the suffering reached me, it was God's will for me. Wow. What if we viewed sufferings like that, that we truly were always in God's hand and that everything that came into our lives was guided by him? When I went, um, I used to lay in bed talking, uh, just saying the name of this mafia group over and over, just the name of it scared me to death. And I had this picture of my, uh, myself in the palm of God's hand. During this time, um, I felt like the Lord was so very present. The fellowship of his suffering is so very close. He would speak to me, and I could tell it was him because it was so contrary to the voices in my own head. It always was peaceful and also humorous. I had no sense of humor during that time. But he would say things that just were funny, whimsical. And it showed me that um, when I was thinking about the terrible, um, the terrible name of this group, I felt like he, he repeated it in my mind. He said, wow, that is scary. How about this? Almighty God, creator of heaven and earth. That's your affiliation. But I just loved the way he spoke to me, and he showed me that I was in the palm of his hand. But you know what I said? That is too vulnerable. Look at all that space around. I didn't feel safe, and I told him that, and he did this. Like holding a bird. I was completely protected, and you are in his hands that way. 
in your sufferings. When I'm experiencing suffering, my first response is often, why? Why is this happening? Why me? But really, is why the point? I mean, when my kids disobeyed and messed up, and I would say, why did you do that? Did I really want to know why? No. I just wanted them not to have done that, right? A far better question is, for what purpose is this happening to me? Lord, what do you want me to learn from this? What is the purpose of suffering? Have you ever wondered what Hebrews 5.8 means? It says Jesus learned obedience through the things he suffered. How could Jesus, who was perfect and sinless, learn obedience through the things he suffered? Jesus moved from untested obedience to tested and proven obedience through the things he suffered. And we, too, move from untested faith to tested and proven faith. Untested obedience to tested obedience through picking up the cross. And we, too, can open the doors. It says um, that Jesus learned obedience through the things he suffered suffered and being made perfect he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him we are made mature we grow up that word perfect and when we suffer with christ and pick up our cross and follow him we open the door for others to come closer to christ don't we as in our suffering we are witnesses of the truth that god is real that he is who he says he is. I have looked at people that have suffered deeply, and they are really beautiful. Have you noticed that? People who suffer in Christ are amazingly beautiful. Um, I met um, Richard and Sabina Warmbrink. Um, they began the Voices of the Martyrs. They had been in prison. Their son had been left out on the streets at age 10. Well, they chose to go to prison because they could have denied Christ. But they didn't, and they were in prison for many years. And they sat, it was one of their last times they spoke, but they spoke at our church, and they were bundled in Afghans because after prison they had no, um, no way of, of uh, you know, keeping the temperature in their body. They were always cold. I went up to Sabina and just thanked her thanked her for suffering for Christ. And she was like, oh, dear, you have so many children. How are you? It's like, oh, my gosh. But that is the thing, that when we suffer in Christ, we become empty of this world and full of heaven. Death makes heaven very near and very desirable. They keep a light touch on things here of the earth. Their eyes are set on heaven. That is their true home. I think about heaven this way. When a baby is in the womb, I think of it looking down the birth canal and saying, I wonder if there's life after birth. We're in a womb. We don't know what will be, but we do know there is life to come. And this is temporary, which means that suffering is temporary. 
People who have suffered in Christ have been gentled of self-ambition, self-opinions, and strengthened in knowing that they know that they know that they know the one in whom they have believed. And obedience is not learned through ideas. It's not learned through good intentions or books, not even through merely reading the Bible. It is learned in the classroom of the cross of picking it up with suffering as our teacher, but Jesus as our master. And obedience is the only way we can prove the truth. What Christ has said about abundant life, I was a believer for a long time and did not understand abundant life and never experienced it. I knew I was saved, but I just said, Lord, what? where's the abundant life you talk about? And it was through obedience. It's through picking up the cross that we find abundant life gushing in us and through us. We are just the garden hoses. We are garden hoses for Christ. It is his river of living water flowing through us. We receive it first, and we send it out to others. We don't need to fear the cross. I feared the cross. I feared suffering because I didn't know Christ. He's with us. He will never leave us. He has gone before us. It says in 1 Thessalonians 5.10, Christ died for us so that whether we are alive or dead, we should live together with him. We live together with him now. We will live together with him then. That is why he died. He will train us. He will give us many opportunities to learn to carry our cross up little small inclines before he asks for the Mount Everest summit. I shared with you on Friday that an early prayer of mine was from Philippians. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering and somehow to be like him in death. I really didn't understand all that. I just wanted to know Christ. But he took me at my word. What I didn't realize at the time, but I know now, is that there is no knowing him without the power of the resurrection. There is no power without a resurrection, and there is no resurrection without there first being death. And there is no death without suffering. And there is no fellowship of suffering with Christ without picking up the cross and following. And if we will pick up the cross, we will be able to say, I know Christ. I know Christ. It is the Lord's chosen venue for our growth. In the good times, we thank him and we're joyous. But those aren't the places where we grow. We grow in picking up our cross and following him. I would never have raised my hand for that murder situation, but I can tell you, I thank God. I thank him for that in my life. It catapulted me into new life, into really understanding life in Christ. And it has continued. As I said, God is into 
process. Our lives are a process. It continues to minister to me. So my question for you is, what is Christ asking you to pick up? Don't ignore the smallest cross, the smallest obedience. Are you willing to say, yes, Lord, I will do it because you say so? Or maybe you're like me. Often I am not there. I am at, God, I am not willing. Help me to be made willing, to be made willing to say yes to you. That's okay. It says that God works in us, giving us the desire, the want to, and the power to do what pleases him. Philippians 2.13. Lord, I know there are women here that are like me, that are afraid, afraid of what saying yes to you might mean. But, Lord, it's because we don't know you. We don't know that you are really love and that you really love us. And I pray, Lord, for these women here tonight that you would speak that gentle, tender, loving way that you do, that you would take their fear, that we would be like the man who said, I believe, help me in my unbelief. As much as we know how, Lord, we give our lives to you tonight. Have your way, in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you.